0: Promise No Promises Going to the limits of your longing The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further series Going to the limits of your longing, research as another name for care This collection of episodes emerged from a master symposium held in spring 2021 at the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel. The contributions to the symposium were devoted to ideas and forms of artistic research that center art as a practice in service of the social. They revisit certain moments in our recent history and present of researching, producing and exhibiting art in the name of such beliefs, namely social justice. Once upon a time, or just a couple of decades ago, women artists from various and diverging geographies began to query and study the gap that has traditionally existed between artistic and non-artistic labor. As artistic labor came to be understood as more representative of society's functioning as a whole, new questions concerning the political dimension of art and the role of the artist in contemporary society came to life. Research has often been the term applied to the act of inquiring into the postcolonial past and neo-colonial present, an inquiry whose very substance gives voice to the need to revise the fundaments of our unachieved and fragile democracies, their languages, tools, forms of violence and myriad legacies. The symposium was dedicated to the memory of Marion von Osten, the artist, curator, researcher, writer and teacher, whose curatorial, theoretical, and altogether empathic approaches to the medium of exhibition-making revolved around artistic research devoted to the collective. Under her exemplary influence, we examined the moments when exhibitions became filled with archives, with documents of testimonies and documentaries of testifying moving images. Institutions suddenly saw the need to create collective collections. It was the beginning of a transformation that, since then, has undergone many turns and many faces, but that remains at the core of understanding art as a practice that serves the social and all the forms of justice and its opposite that enumerate it. With contributions at the symposia by Maria Teresa Alves, Ursula Biemann, Regina Bittner, Barbara Casavecchia, Anja Kirschner, Kapuani Kawanga, Maria Lindt, Otto Kanga, Lydia Urachman and Miriam Amrun, Philippa Ramos, Kerstin Starkemeyer, as well as Yvonne Volkert und Peter Spielmann. Learning from M, featuring author and curator Yvonne Volkert and artist and cultural producer Peter Spielmann in memory of Marion von Osten.
1: Peter Spielmann and I, we got to know Marion von Osten in 1994 for an exhibition in which we took part uh, when techno turns to sound of poetry. Two years later, Marion came as a curator to, to the Shedhalle, and we worked there with her. And, and, yeah, also a love story between Peter and Marion began, and it lasted until her death. And Peter is currently also yes, thinking and working on a, a archive about the work they did together. So we took this opportunity today to come into a talk uh, and to remember what Marion did. So our dialogue today is called learning from M. And with this learning, we refer to this idea that learning is our directive now in neoliberalism that we always have to learn, never stop doing something And on the other hand, learning can also mean what we have learned yesterday. It's knowledge transfer. It means other ways of participating and engaging for which Marion stands as a person. And we would like to uh, connect this to her person. And as you see, M is Monsieur, Madame, Marion, mother, and the inclusion of the other for which Marion stands totally for me, as this person who did not accept the dualistic thinking and these divisions we have into separate parts. So I would like to talk about care, oikos, recycling, world-making, joy, and celebration. Um, care, in German, sorge, means above all three, quite different things. It's trouble. It means I am troubled for something. It means concern. And it also means tending something, looking for something or somebody. And Lori Grün, the feminist theorist says, care focuses on relationships and the ways in which relationships can be better or worse. And I think that was also a very important definition Ukraine gave yesterday for care, that you said it's about relations. Care ethics is often thought to be just about caring for someone, but it is essentially a relational aesthetics. And I think that's the, the important point here. But care also means, if we go back to the uh, Latin Root the etymology, then it means cura, and cura uh, means to to heal what is troubled, and I'm troubled, therefore I heal, and um, and it means interestingly it means also study and longing, which is in the title of um, of this event. So we see that cura care already combines a lot of what has been talking about. And Anne was an artist who curated. She was not an artist-artist. She was always somebody who also curated. But with curator, I really mean this idea of this etymological signification of the word. She was somebody like a caretaker, a mediator who enabled things. She was a mother. created an atmosphere of cooperation and togetherness, and as I said before, the mother is not uh, a female person, it's this M who includes also the others in the house of the common goods, in the house of what is of common concerns and what troubles her, and what she wants to tend for. If we think about the house of the common goods, we come to Oikos. Oikos is another etymological root uh, for ecology and economy, two subjects which were very important for her whole life. She was always working about economy, especially about this neoliberal economy and about alternatives. It means In Greek, house. It's the household or the community in the house. And this uh, household is bigger than today's nuclear family. So oikos uh, is kin, animals, allies, but also slaves, plants, land, farmers. It's not without hierarchies, the oikos, but it's definitely something big. And uh, curating the house means M created projects that were open to those who longed for participation. It was not an exclusive house for only blood uh, family. It was open. And M enabled projects, including machines, people, more than human entities, who could unfold in the multiplicity, openness, and indeterminacy. So another important word is recycling. And with recycling, I first thought of the metabolism. I thought of the uh, German word because I always thought Marion is a very good recycler. This is uh, connected to that that she did Give her respect. She could really do something with what happened, and could mix it together to this whole vision. And oikos, recycling is also a very important word today uh, in ecology because it means not extracting. And Marion definitely was not an extractor. She did not take uh, or she did not use that. Uh, of the others and sold it as her own creation. It was really more uh, the mixture. She was interested and uh, that she was very fast and quick. So in an obituary, we could read what I mean with that, I quote, We will miss your ability to spontaneously waive a cultural theory from the most trivial of things. This is what she really could do. And this is an ecological ability. World-making is also a word we heard today. She had the ability to perceive openings, creating ways out of blocked situations. It's also a very special gift. And I want to quote from this obituary, approaching borders as spaces for negotiation, migrations as renewal, colonial planning as expropriation, and education above all as conversation, emancipation, hegemony, and resistance. And another important word is joy. With M, you could always have a laugh. Joy, says Isabel Stengers, following Baro Spinoza, Joy is the production or discovery of a new degree of freedom. And joy has also an epidemic potential. So I wanted to quote this, that we see we can use epidemic also in another context than uh, we know it now. And celebration. Celebrated M as a true feminist celebrated anyone and anything that she refused to let itself be intimidated. So I find this also very important. For me, this is a statement for a true feminist. Never be afraid. Always try to find a way. (laughs) So to show what I mean and so that we can hear her, uh, we would like to um screen a short video interview Mario, peter and i did in my house in this sequence I told Mariam first about my origin, that uh, I spent half of my childhood in the botanical garden because my father was a gardener there in the botanical garden. And that was very important for me uh, that I realized only a few years ago that this context was so important for me because a botanical garden is this... um, set up of education colonialism but also of aesthetics and intimacy with plants because my father was a, a very special person and he was a really he really cared for his his uh, plants so i learned a lot about from him and we were talking about this and i also talked about uh, an experience i made in my garden with a fuchsia plant that in the night i saw a caterpillar. And that I, it was sitting there in my fuchsia. And so I was very shocked and thought, oh God, it looks like a snake. And I was afraid that it could destroy my plant. And I wanted to kill it. But I was afraid and didn't know what to do. I called my mother, what should I do with this caterpillar who is this distracting my, my fuchsia? And she said, oh, calm down, it also has, it also can live there in this fuchsia. It's not a problem. They will both exist there. Don't worry about this. And so then I also Googled and I found out that it's a very seldom uh, pollinator. It becomes a very seldom pollinator and that it was a very high ecological uh, ambiente, which I had there because they do not they are very rare and very useful for nature. And so I told her that, that then in the end, I also found out that um, the caterpillar did not destroy my fuchsia and that sometime it was gone. So this was what I told her. And it was very interesting to see that after I told her that she could immediately react on this situation and could make a theory about knowledge. And she was talking then about this, that um, what I experienced, she said, was um, that it's the knowledge of everyday life and that I had to be there to spend my time, to to care about these plants and so, and also to connect to my mother and to have this uh, conversation with her and, and also to remember my father. Who was a gardener and not a botanic, and uh, she said, this is it's a very important knowledge, and we w- should really learn to estimate that because it's extracurricular knowledge. And she said, what the plants, what the plants are for you. This was in our project falling wild the birds. We uh, learned a lot of the birds, and then she says that knowledge is something relational and something, it it comes from the actors, and you realize that it is also always the actors uh, who are making the world. And, and, And she ends by saying that this kind of perception is a historically female perception. So I found it very interesting that this talk, this whole talk about knowledge and also about my father, who was the man in the whole thing, that she could interpret this as a female story. So, and I also realized that my father was in a certain sense, historically, a mother of the plant. So that was the whole interesting, yes, exchange we had in this short sequence. (laughs) I
2: find it interesting that you say, also wie du den Prozess beschreibst, also die erste Reaktion und dann wie du dich informierst, dann gehst du ja auch wieder auf die neuen Kommunikationszahlen, dann googelt man erstmal, dann informiert man sich sozusagen auf der Faktenseite, mhm. ne? also die, die vorher drüber gesprochen, und dann kommt aber noch das Erfahrungswissen dazu, weil die Mutter kommt mit dem Erfahrungswissen da rein und dann irgendwie sozusagen wächst du zwischen den Fakten und dem Erfahrungswissen ab. Und irgendwann triffst du dann irgendwie sozusagen eine Entscheidung und dann lernst du aus dem Prozess, dass ah, eventuell das tatsächlich die falsche Entscheidung gewesen wäre, jetzt die Raupe da auseinanderzuschneiden. Also das sind ja verschiedenste Formen von Wissen, die dazu kommen und lernen. Und du musst dich ständig in Relation zu jemandem anders setzen dabei. Und es ist natürlich auch ein Wissen, was ja, also wenn du jetzt sagst, du machst ja auch jetzt Lehrveranstaltungen, aber eigentlich ist es ja Extracurricular, also der Gärtner ist ja, der Botaniker schon, aber der Gärtner ist ja erstmal nicht Teil des Hochschulsystems, also das sind ja auch Wissensformen, die im Alltag stattfinden, Menschen machen diese Erfahrung, weil sie vielleicht eine ganz kleine Partielle haben, es liegt aber ja auch so eine Poesie, Da drin, also das finde ich immer so einen wichtigen Moment, also seitdem wir eine Datscha mhm. haben, also dieses, diese, dieses Glück, wenn ich da hinkomme, also das, wenn es jetzt auch um die Pflanzen geht, dass ist mich sofort in eine, sagen wir so eine grundpoetische Haltung meiner Umwelt setzt. also wo, wo ich Glücksmomente habe, die ich ja sonst so gar nicht haben kann, und du hast das eben auch gesagt. Kinder und Pflanzen, also, wie erlebt Zeit ganz anders. Also, Dauer, dass sich etwas entwickelt, aber auch natürlich eine unheimliche Freude. Deswegen haben wir ja die Raupe, die in Quere, weil die Fuchs so schön blüht. Und äh, das sind ja auch alles, also, ich würde jetzt mal sagen, sehr feminisierte, also zumindest mal historisch so feminisierte. Formen der Wahrnehmung, dass man so, sich so ein Blümchen und Schmetterlingen freut. und ich finde das spannend, dass eigentlich, also das was bei uns die Vögelchen sind, die jetzt plötzlich zu Akteuren werden, die sozusagen die Baustops hervorrufen oder also ganz politische Akteure werden, also dass diese Form von Gefühlen oder dieses poetische Sein, dieses Miteinander, das Carework, das Relationale ähm, Zwangsläufig in der Zeit, in der wir jetzt leben, wird sich das zu etwas politischen wird. Ja? Also das finde ich einfach spannend, ein Switch, mit dem wir nicht
1: unbedingt gerecht. I would like to greet Peter Spielmann. We agreed that you would like to to show one of the first exhibitions of Marion Money Nations and this exhibition has been developed, yes, between you two, and a travel you did together was very important for that.
3: Yes, we agreed to to go back to this Money Nations project, maybe to in somehow to try to demystify the way of working uh, Marion did and I did with her together. And um, in the sense of um, it was not that much strategic, decision to do something like that. It just came up by step by step by what happened. And in that sense, Money Nations is a very interesting project because it brought up a lot of topics which were um, central for a lot of projects which later came, which Marion did, you know, like the, in, in the desert of modernity or Project Migration and all this. And on the other hand, it was also at the beginning of this kind of what we could call now a new method of working, which is research based, but it's a special kind of research. It's not research in an academic sense. It's much more research, which is based on just going around, um, looking at places, um, looking at um, contexts. and talking with people and so Money nations actually started in in very private conversations between us about political events you know in, in the mid 90s neoliberalism the, the changing eastern Europe all these states which were where capitalism was introduced in a in a very brutal way in a radical neoliberalistic way and Marion told a lot about her Experiences in Eastern Germany, where she where she did some projects at the beginning, just after the falling down of the Iron Curtain and uh, take uh, during the takeover of Eastern uh, Germany by Western Germany, one could say nowadays. And um, so we we were our questions were what what does this mean to construct an East under these new um, conditions of neoliberalism? It was before it was Cold War. It was clear the East was the, the enemy and bad and dark and um, undemocratic. And now it was a, a, a kind of experimental um, war ground in somehow where capitalism can fall in and try to transform everything. And uh, of course, it was very interesting to think about what happened with all these ideas of subjectification: Who, who am I? What what are the roles of Women, especially, and um, what is going on there, and um we had the idea that should become a project, an exhibition, whatever. And um, soon we came to the idea: yes, we have to travel there because that's the only way to find out what is happening, to contact people, and to look at places. And um, in the sen- in that sense, the me- method of real encounters, of eyewitness, and. Which enables us um, to do all kinds of observations, um, which are not um, focusing a, a specific topic, which will raise up at the moment when we are in the situation when there ha- happens something. So we had a list. We have we had a number of people to visit on a list, just a few actually. And first of all, it was Gülşen Karamustafa in Istanbul. So we fly to Istanbul. So in fact, we we found us traveling along the, the Balkan route, which now we, we have a name for. By that time, it was not, nobody talked about the Balkan route in that sense. And we were confronted with a, with a lot of new problems and events at each border crossing, just um, in time for our arrival in Istanbul, the border to Greece was closed, so we couldn't pass. We had to, Made a, a, a turn around, you know, to find a strategy to go to to Greece um, in, um, and um, to, so we were, we, we had, we 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 went into a mimicry kind of strategy. Um, to we be, become tourists, you know, and um, went to Kusadasi and took a boat to Samos, and then we were in Greece, and then we could go back to Thessaloniki and cross the border there because. This border was on. So, did this stuff happened, which um, I, I guess a lot of migrants during all the, the last twenty years or thirty years um, were part of. You know that that was what happened. And at the borders between Greece and Bulgaria, we suddenly found ourselves in the middle of, of the, um, heavy deals like woman, woman smuggling, where on the uh, on the other side of the border the train stopped again. In the middle of the of a forest and 20 young women entered, you know, housed, were housed into the car by by shady guys. So things like that happened all the time, you know, when we were passing along the, this route. So in that sense, all this marginal observation increasingly become the focus of attention and are in the end also the topic of the project, actually. You know, it's about migration, it's about uh, informal economy, it's about um, t- uh, w- trafficking, the new role of women in this um, post-Soviet uh, or uh, post-socialist societies. These were all the topic coming coming up. So maybe just two um, examples. Um, what that mean in detail? You know, uh, for instance, in Budapest, we met two different academics in two very different institutions, a sociologist. Uh, female sociologist in the in the University of Budapest. Very old, shabby buildings, very small room, dirty um, furniture, working tables, bad infrastructure, everything. But she was really brilliant. She collected a lot of data, did interviews, and told us. Um, Uh, Of how gender stereotypes are currently being reinstalled in in a broad front into the society, you know, bring back household for women, bring uh, bring them back to the kitchen, more violence, less career um, chances and job chances, and so on. So there was a, a, a heavy increase of inequality in this moment where we were there in this university. She was very engaged and very angry about all. What was happening and then we just switched the, the place you know we went to the to the to the other university which was a, a newly founded um very nice renovated building um heavily equipped with all new techniques uh, with a, a brilliant um branding logo in front of you you can imagine it's, it is this soros open university in budapest <laughs> which was financed by George Sor- Soros, the tycoon in the financial market. And there we, we met with a young um, Western academic, of course. She was the head of this cha- of, uh, of something which was called Gender Studies Institute at, at Sor- Soros Open in, um, University and they were offering trainings for business people on how to uh, overcome the gender gap in the new capitalist business structure, something like that, so they were up to date, they have all these new terms, um, new ways of speaking, the spirit of a a real new uh, neoliberal society, Um, all these values, this was blowing there, you know, when, we, when you entered the space and when you met them in their, in their behavior and everything. And so these two situations could not have been uh, more different in content, in way of speaking, room design, branding, and also in terms of the money that the academics earned. Because, the, of course, the, the sociologist in the university told us immediately what she earns, because she was so angry about that, she earned 300 mark a month. And on the other side, we didn't hear anything. So this is one example, you know, which shows in what sense, um, the, you know, this interrelations between contexts, situations, um, this question of subjectification and, um, uh, you know, all these side marks, how, what, what is Happening around us, how what what does the design look like, and uh, this is in in somehow equally important in such a kind of research strategy. The other example was given Karamustafa herself. She she brought us to places in Istanbul where. A new kind of economy was um, installed in recently, like a year ago, two years ago. So we walked around before during the cities. And she she already did a lot of observations about women as actors in this new economy. It was a lady called Sweet Kais Trade. You know, they came from Russia and Ukraine across the Black Sea. They prostitute in Istanbul to get to earn some money and they spend it by buying cheap clothes, bring it back to their countries by, in huge sweet cases, and start to build up an own business, like to, to open up a boutique and to, to go into this textile business with that, and then come back with more money and buy again new, new clothes. And on the, other, on the other side in Istanbul, uh, there was a, a completely new kind of textile industry, um, installed to serve those customers uh, to 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 make this trade possible you know there were um uh, there were immigrants from anatolia mostly women of course they had to sew the these clothes during in, in large basement halls at night which um so the clothes were ordered during the day in in showrooms in big showrooms um and um then they were sued in this backyard sweatshops uh instantly so at the same moment actually and this this is of this was of course a new kind of economic model we know it now in in a lot of um european cities even in brussels i heard or in for instance in in great britain also and uh and Of course, this was was an interesting moment also for Gülşen because it brought her to a completely different uh, artistic practice as well, you know, by talking with us, by going with us through all these events and by reflecting. We had long discussions afterwards in, in her atelier, drinking some wine and discussing everything. And of course, she 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 started to think, oh I I, I can't just do images about that. I can't just do paint, paintings or just a kind of simple installation. I have to do something different. And this brought her to this decision to bring back for the for the final exhibition in Shathal, the Money Nations exhibition, a, a more performative work. she bought clothes for 100 dollars in Istanbul, brought them to Zurich install the kind of selling stand and um, try to tell this story what is happening with all this woman involved in this new kind of trade. <clears throat> There's a, a book um, published at, at the end of everything. It's still viable, you know, if you, if you are interested. In Shethal they have still a lot of it and I just took the picture out of that because um, I couldn't find any other good images and uh, that's how the 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 exhibition looked at the end and maybe i just um point out two works the one of um Gürzen and another one actually the um this the artistic practice of Gürzen changed in that sense in that sense that she's really started to be to to make a performance to to bring herself in the center of the of this project of this piece in uh, because she she um, experienced um, the situation of those women in Istanbul she talked also with some of them she, she did some kind of interviews with them and she had the idea okay I have to to um, reenact in somehow what they are doing what they are how they are fighting to to be able to start the business by just um, smuggling this huge amount of of objects she, she have chosen and bought in this uh, special market you know you can see here some of them this is these are not that much text but there were were also souvenirs and um, artificial flower pieces some um, sharps uh, things like that and um, she she built up this stand that in Chet Hall you know where you could and, and she of course did prices everywhere and people could Sell this. At the end, the the this selling stand was empty again. So this this, this was not a piece in the conventional sense. It was really a, a performative process-oriented piece. In the end, so that that's uh, um, um, would be a give us some hints in what sense the the artistic practice change. The the other example, I would like to. Talk about this um, this file from Lia Peshkovskis. So we we uh, met uh, Peshkovskis in uh, Sofia, and um, you can imagine, you know, that's maybe the side story of this is that um, they had a lot of visits during the the years before we came from curators from Western Europe because they were all on on in um, going down a kind of short list to. Look for new big uh, top shots from Eastern European art scene, and Dan was one of them. And uh, of course, uh, uh, Leah was also an artist. They had a, a studio together, but nobody was interested in Leah and Leah's art. Uh, everybody was wanted to talk with Dan, and she she was in somehow pissed of this thing and started to at least to make portraits of, of all those um stressed curators coming she she told a lot of nice stories you know they come in they have just 40 minutes time they would like to see two two three pieces to talk with done and to make deals and um uh, if you maybe have a have an idea how it looked in in Bucharest um and yes in book it's not so it's Bucharest during that time and what the conditions are they had to to deal with, you know, with what what the studio space was and what their flat was, it was in um, in somehow an awful gesture to come like that to uh, just to drink their tea and to eat their, their cake and that, uh, bring nothing to this place and just taking knowledge back to to the art scene and she was really pissed off and. At the end she decided as of course we marion invited her to the exhibition not done and uh, she uh, decided to to make this piece and just to bring this file and people were able to look in, in through, through all this, these images and in somehow to also a little bit blaming those uh, subjects of just um coming to the to the studio so um in the end, the money, nation. So that was the actually the result of this kind of research we did. Ended up to be a, a much more than an exhibition. It was a. There were not only artists. There were also um, activists uh, like this deportation class project part of the exhibition. You know, they 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 copied the uh, um, corporate identity of Lufthansa and um, transformed it to a to an anti um, deportation campaign with several mediums. And um, so there were activists part of it. um, And there were a lot of follow-ups like Eurovision 2000. You can still find the project online. Eurovision2000.net is the website of the project. It was a video network uh, about the new border regime uh and um there were there was also of course a, a kind of meeting opening conference so it was a lot about um exchanging knowledge at the, at the moment where all these invited artists activists came together in Shedhalle Zurich it it was very important to give possibilities to exchange experiences to come up to new insights uh, maybe to 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 have new ideas what how we how we could go on how we could work together and um, so it was about creating a a network as well and uh, there was also a a workshop double-checked information with media um, activists from ex-yugoslavia and in car 3000 and eurovision 2000, itself went to Brussels, Prague, and Polonia. So maybe that's an important point, you know, to see it's really more about the network um, going on. So at like, the exhibition, is, it was just a short um, moment of um, bringing together people and information in this shadow space in Zurich.
1: I think what you showed now shows us this operative art term for which. Sheetale and Marion are very important because they develop this kind of operative art, art which is real. And I think it has very commonalities now to what we call aesthetic research nowadays. But maybe unlike aesthetic research nowadays, this operative art, it's very situated. It's clear it has a, a political uh, background.
3: We would have a final piece. It's the last piece, actually, Mariam did. The piece is called What is Land? And it brings us back to this whole of, um, ecofeminist topics as well and the question of gentrifying landscapes. Huh? Hmm?
4: What is land? Some glorified figment of urban dweller's imaginations. A counterweight to city life. The day-trip destination. The cycling tour. A memory. Or the city's pantry. Wheat, oats, rye, potatoes, carrots, cabbages, meat and milk. The Scheunenviertel. Granaries. Agricultural infrastructures are the powerhouse of urban expansion. Berlin, newly created Prussian colonists' village of stone, a granary at each gateway to the city, dwellings for day laborers made of cheaply fired brick, hand looms and hammers, a fireplace, a living space, no bathroom, bedroom, no children's room, but a small front garden, a sty for subsistence. In the straggling villages, two families of colonists eke out an existence in each of the subordinates' roadside houses, with a backyard, barn, stable, and beyond a small patch of land. Maids, servants, harvest hands, and day laborers migrate to the factories, along with indentured workers from the outlying estates and manors. The city margins are still almost rural. Coal ships on the Spree are coming into dock. What is land? An apple tree lined avenue blossoming in spring. Mulberry trees planted for silk weaving in the 18th century. And manor houses which have long since had manufacture in mind. Harbingers of industrialization. Settler colonialism. Expansion expropriation of the Eastern Alp region. On the track eastwards, marches drained, forests felled, rape and pillage on the killing fields. The countryside becomes landed property. First the church and its battle knights hound the Slavic population eastwards, seize possession of new territory. The reward is an aristocratic title. Land grabs by an ascendant class. Corville labor is enslavement. Autonomous cities and free farmers are disenfranchised and taxed. Berlin is a royal seat with a royal household. A king rules there now. Common property is conquered. Nothing but large estates as far as Königsberg. What is land? The rain whipping over fields, a thunderstorm on the horizon. Land turned over to cultivation, forestry, hunting, manor houses, castles and parks. Land partitioned, surveyed and exploited to set in motion the mass production of grain. The plantation was not invented overseas. What is land? Land the lark above the cornfields, the fallow deer in the clearing, the hike along the river Havel, the farm shop with regional products, the decline in biodiversity, the cultivation of cash crops, biofuel and animal feed. Oversized combined harvesters and Eastern European harvest hands awaiting their deployment in the fields. Corpse afloat in the Landwehrkanal. The policies of big landowners remain in force until and after the November Revolution. Fostering the National Socialists' rise to power and the annexation of the East. War of extermination. Genocides. Carcasses of military horses piling up under the avenues. What is Land. The price of agricultural products on the stock exchange. EU subsidies for large tracts of agricultural land. Speculation with one-time public property. After 1945, demands for land reform. Free land for free farmers, people cry. Put Juncker land in farmers' hands. What is Land. A new dimension of ownership. Speculation with forestry and agricultural land by international holdings and financial companies. No sector in the world is as economically opaque as real estate.
0: Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch. That's dertank.ch. Or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hdk at fhnw.ch. That's info.kunst.hdk at fhnw.ch. Moderated and curated by Chus Martinez and Quinn Latimer. Editing and voiceover Elena Zieser. Music Niklas Kammermeier. Research Team Marion Ritzmann, Tabea Rotfuchs and Alice Wilke. Press and communication Anna Franke and Sarina Scheidegger. Technical support by Karin Bohrer, Chris Handberg, Esther Hunziger and Konrad Siegel. Copyright by Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, 2022.